I, I'm going to annoy you this year with questions because it, it is one of the greatest gifts God gave mankind is the ability to ask questions. And one of the kindest gifts that God gives us is asking us questions because he's inviting us into knowing him better and knowing him through his word. So, so this question is, how do you read the Bible? And, and there's lots of different ways. There's no wrong way to read the Bible. I'm not here to criticize anybody's Bible technique. Uh, unless you're one of those people who doesn't read the Bible, then I will criticize you. Because it is, the, the Word of God's described multiple ways. My personal favorite uh, is, it is the bread of life. And it's our daily bread. And when you're not getting to eat a lot of bread because you're trying to lose weight, you really love bread. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> are, are you reading it as a, as a habit? And a habit's a good thing. Too many times we say habits are bad things. We've got to break habits. There, there's good habits too. Getting up and reading God's word every day is a good habit. But how do you approach it? Do you approach it as just a collection of stories that those were stories of the past and I'm supposed to learn from the past? Or do you read them as, yes, they're stories of the past, but God is speaking to me in my story through them. When you start to connect the word of God to your life, and you start to see the word of God unfolding in your life, then God can use his word in its perfect form to transform you, as the word of God says in Romans, that you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Which is so cool when you really pay attention to the word of God. Back in John, John declared Jesus to be the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what's going to transform your mind and how you think and how you react and interact with the world around you? The word of God. Now, is the word of God always easy? This is where we're going to get a little more interactive today, okay? <clears throat> so I'm going to ask this question and you get to answer it out loud so that all the people online can hear that we are here today and we are here in force. Is the word of God always easy? No. Okay. That's one of my favorite words. My kids know that. No. There's times I say it to them just for fun. No. No. Okay. But I think sometimes we... We've compartmentalized different stories of the gospel because they're, they're difficult. We don't want to deal with those parts of the story. Or we just kind of glaze over it because we want to get to the, the, the happy side of the story. That, you know, whoo, it's all, it's all good. And, and I grew up with Paul Harvey. And I tend to tell the rest of the story. Because in the rest of the story, we often find the, the immeasurable depth of God working in the lives of people. And, and Joshua is no different.
the, the challenge for this year, and this is a challenge I'm taking on for myself, is to see God speaking to my story through his word. Ultimately, it's his story, but the beautiful thing about God is he allows you to be the character in your story that he's writing. And I want to see the word of God and how it meets me right where I am. And there's going to be times that's challenging. I'm absolutely terrified we're going to make it to the book of Job this year. I don't want to make it to the book of Job. And I'm telling you, if I get my choice, I will drag my feet. Because Job is it's a horrific book to find yourself in the story. But I'll quit chasing that squirrel. Joshua. And... We're going to read through the entirety of the first chapter of Joshua. And it's, it's really fun, and it'll bring us to a good point today. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, which if you go back and study the names on Joshua and his dad, it's really not that thrilling. Okay, uh, but... Anyways, I'm not going to take you there. You'll have to do the digging yourself. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the, this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Only be strong and courageous. I'm, I'm repeating that section of scripture intentionally here. Being careful according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success where you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do all, do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the land your Lord God is giving you to possess. 
and the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. And the land that Moses, the servant the Lord of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so will we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Are you hearing a theme in that scripture? Over and over and over. And, and that's part of why I struggle with the book of Joshua. I struggle with it because as I read through it, I understand military tactics. I understand how to go fight battles and win wars. And there's so much of it that doesn't even make sense. And I struggle with it because over and over as I read through it, I'm remembering what I learned about God through His covenant with Abraham through his relationship with Isaac and with Jacob and his faithfulness to Joseph and and his deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt and, and the time of revealing himself to them in the desert. And, and I remember that this is a God who is, who is full of mercy. And then we get to Joshua, and he's going to ask Joshua to do horrific things. He's going to tell Joshua to kill every man, woman, and child in a city. To wipe out their livestock. To wipe every trace of them from the face of the earth. And it's hard for me. I struggle with that because that's not mercy. That, that's everything that the world wants to paint God as. That He's just a God of vengeance and wrath. And, and I struggled with it. Because Joshua is going to be asked to do difficult things. And, and as I studied this word, God began to reveal to me that, that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that God still cared. And that sometimes translators mess things up a little bit. I'm not saying they didn't wipe out everybody, because if it says they wiped them out, they wiped them out. But it was different. Because there's a reason God told them they were going to have to go do this. And you have to go all the way back in Genesis and find it. It's buried in there. 
Because the, the people, the nations that came out of this people group trace their roots back to Genesis chapter 15. God's talking to Abraham and he's talking about the children of Israel and he's talking about the fact that they're going to come back to this land after that 400 years. Okay, 400 years God's going to put up with this group that this scripture talks about in Genesis 15, 16. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When I read through Genesis, I blazed over that and had no idea why it was there. Other than God was talking about his, he was telling Abraham, your children are going to go into exile, they're going to go into slavery, and then I'm going to bring them out. But what's going on outside of Egypt during those 400 years? The evil of the Amorites is reaching full maturity. I'm going to tell you things that are difficult this morning because you need to, you need to understand them to fully get what, what's going to happen in the book of Joshua. And the first thing about the Amorites is their number one deity is, is and depending on which historian you talk to, they, some call him the Baal Molech, others just simply call him Molech. And the way that you worship Molech was child sacrifice. And this image really kind of shows it very well that it was a large statue of the god of Molech with his hands out. And they would place the child on the hands of Molech. And inside this statue was a raging furnace. So those hands were the temperature of the furnace. And this is a living child they laid in the hands of this false god so that the screams would be the offering that initially goes up to the god. And the arms were put in a way that the child would slide into the furnace so that Molech took that child into his innermost being as an offering. These were horrific people who were blinded by deception, believing that this was a God who would bring fertility to their land and rain to their crops. And for 400 years, they sacrificed thousands of their own children. Archaeology backs this up. They have exhumed cemeteries full of children's skeletal remains of charred bone. These were evil people. And what did we learn about the children of Israel in the desert? If they're left alone for a little bit, they tend to just absorb the culture around them. Can you imagine why God said, wipe these people out? God has come to a point where He's ready to deal swiftly with the evil He has patiently been enduring. Now, Pastor, why are you talking about this? It's normally more hopeful. It's more, more cheerful. Well, guess what the culture we live in 
looks like. We're not taking babies and dropping them on on the hands of a, a hot furnace statue for a false god. But with a simple injection of a shot or taking of a pill, we can end the life of a child before it's ever born. And we say that it's okay. Because maybe the God of Molech is the God of... of well, it's jeopardizing my future. It, it's not what I had planned. Well, that child was conceived in a horrible crime. We, we can make whatever excuse we want, but a child is a child is a child. And God has a plan and a purpose. And I promise you there is hope in this message. Don't, don't get lost in the weeds on me. But the, the phrase that you're going to run into, and, and translators really struggle with it because it's very hard for us to understand that era. But there's going to be times where the Word of God says, go wipe them out. Go annihilate them. And in the Hebrew, the word that's used there is the word for consecrate. Which just blew my mind when I started to study it. Consecrate them to the Lord. What? That doesn't even make sense. Not at all how we use consecrate, but consecrate... Consecrate has only two meanings in the ancient world. It is simply releasing or it is putting it to fire and destroying it in honor of. Wow. So what happens with us? You know, we, we can't take abortion clinics and burn them to the ground. That's not what I'm saying. But what happens if we consecrate that to the Lord and we say, God, that battle first and foremost is yours. That I will be a voice to that battle, but I'm going to be a voice to that battle like Jesus would. And I'm going to say unashamedly that abortion is the destruction of a child of God and precious in the eyes of God are his children. But I'm also going to say that God is rich in love and God is rich in mercy and God has a plan for that mom too. And that if that's the decision that she made because she was scared or she was afraid, that God is still who He is and He is full of love and He is full of mercy. I'm going to consecrate that mom to God. Not in a sense of burn her up. I think too many times we as the American church have decided that, that we're going to stand on the moral high ground and burn every bridge to the hill. Instead of let God be who He is and let God speak His love and His mercy through us. Is sin still sin? Yes. But I'm telling you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes me. And no sin is bigger than another in the eyes of God. Because there's going to be other people that Joshua is going to be called to go consecrate before the Lord in a means of wipe them out that aren't worshiping Molech. They're simply worshiping other Baals. 
And if I really wanted to hit us all where it hurts, we probably have more Baals in our life than we're willing to admit. Because anything you're willing to give your time, your energy, your passion, and your money to, those are acts of worship. Ouch. I'm stepping on my own toes, so. But God's going to call Joshua to go in and to, to tear down the monuments that are built to the false gods. To tear them down. God's going to call you in this next year for things in your life. God's going to call you to tear them down. To tear down some of the stuff that's holding you back from knowing Him more. That's holding you back from reaching other people for the gospel. As I can stand here and tell you, Facebook is one of those things I'm tearing down in my life. I'm not getting rid of it because it's a platform that we use to reach the world. But I'm through letting it rob me of my time. I'm through letting it rob me of my peace. I'm through putting up walls with people that I should have never built. I'm through sitting at tables I was never called to eat at. I'm through tossing tables I was never meant to toss. And I'm going to start tossing one of them named Facebook. But everything. That's one of the words for the year for me is everything. Everything is up for grabs. God, if you don't want X in my life, it's part of everything. It's going to go. That, that's tough. That's a tough place to stand because Joshua had to stand in a tough place where he's called to go and whatever God tells him, if he tells you to wipe out everything, what's everything mean? I was listening to a sermon in, in Georgia on our way to church and, and the word that kept coming up was all. And they were all repeating it. All, all. Our word's a little bit bigger because we're out here in western Oklahoma. We don't, we don't drag it out with as much drawl. So it's everything. Just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Everybody take one. And on the exhale, I don't care if you just whisper it because you're afraid of it or if you say it out loud or if you yell it. What's God after in your life this year? All, everything. Don't hold anything back, right? That, that's tough and that's a scary place to be. The other thing is that God's telling Joshua and he's going to be speaking to him over and over. He's going to tell him to tear down all of their stuff and then put up stones as memorials for your children to remember. For your grandchildren to ask you about. And this is something where people are like, didn't he tell them not to put up idols? He... He never says idols. You don't worship these things. These are memorial stones. How many of you stop at highway markers, the historical markers? My kids are going to start getting worn out if dad keeps stopping at historical markers and, and goofy artesian wells and all these other things we stop at. But why do we stop there? To remember. If God does something really great in your life this year, get something 
that symbolizes it, that stands out, and put it somewhere in your home so that when people come in, they ask about it. So that A, you remember, but B, something about it makes them want to learn and then they remember. People are like, he just told us to buy stuff. There's people back there going, freedom! I've been trying to get rid of stuff and he's telling us to bring it in. These stones date back to the conquest of Israel. They're still there. They're still there. Why? So that generation after generation after generation will remember what God did. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool, Jeff, that your great, great, great grandkids would be hearing about something God did in and through your life? Most people are only remembered to a third generation. God has a memory to a thousand generations. But we're facing a culture that is very similar to what Joshua faced. We just have all the modern bells and whistles to go with it. If you don't believe me, then let me give you a few clips from the news. The, there was a person in Ohio that was being sworn into office that wasn't 100% sure what the book they were swearing in on was, but found out it was not a Bible and later found out it was in fact a book of pornography that they were sworn in on. In a courthouse where they were having a Christmas celebration, the Satanists demanded that a Satanist statue be put up because freedom of religion is freedom of religion. The statue was erected. I, I can go on with list after list of things in our culture that are contrary to the Word of God. But it's no different than when Joshua was at the door of the Promised Land. And sometimes I think we need to define what the promised land is. For a lot of Christians, they think it's heaven. That's not heaven. That's the reward. The promised land is that person that God's calling you to speak into their life so they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That promised land is your seat of intellect, the heart that the Bible talks about, and you allowing Jesus to take his rightful place on that throne, and him looking at parts of your life and saying, this is not what we want in the kingdom, and you being obedient and ruthlessly eliminating it. And in order to do that, you're going to have to get what Joshua had. Because God's going to help you defeat the strongholds in your life for one purpose only. Not just so that you can be free. Because freedom without purpose is not freedom at all. You're set free for the purpose of going and helping others tear down the walls and the strongholds in their life. And the key to victory is God's word and our willingness to allow God to speak and discipline us through it. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have I not commanded you? 
This may be my new favorite commandment in all of Scripture. Have I not commanded you? Rock, Chizak, Amatz. That is Hebrew for be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Walk out with those three words today. Walk out with them and adopt them as part of your lifestyle. You know you're facing a hard day that day. Look yourself in the mirror and say, Rock, Kazak, Amats. One of the voices that we didn't talk much about when leading with your voice, the most important person you're going to lead with your voice is you. How you think about yourself and talk to yourself in inner dialogue is one of the most understated things in Christianity. Because do you say to yourself that I am chosen by God? I am loved by God. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Or do you say other things to yourself? I'm weak. I'm unworthy. I'm stupid. I'm, I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm old. I'm tired. What you say to yourself matters. And maybe you just need to start telling yourself one thing. Look yourself in the eye and say, be strong and of good courage. And if it's not enough for you, write it on your mirror. Your kids will inherit it one day. That may be the stone in your house that they need. But rock, kazak, amats. And if you mispronounce it, that's okay. God knows what you mean. Some of us are just babies in, in the faith. Some of us are eating steak. It's getting lunchtime, Dale. We'll talk about steak again. But this week, you're going to face something. You're going to face something. That's life. You'll face something. You'll have that moment where you get to shrink back or you get to be who God called you to be. And I hope you never ever forget that there's a lion inside of you. We talk about a lot of the kinder, softer aspects of Jesus, but Jesus is also called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's calling you to be strong and of good courage. And if you'll let him, that lion will roar.